Welcome to Life on Pause, a podcast defining the experience of being a young adult with cancer. Each episode, we explore issues impacting young adults in and after treatment. Like what you hear? Have something to add? Come join us for next month's recording, the third Tuesday at 6 p.m. Welcome to Life on Pause, a podcast for young adults living with cancer. This is your host for the episode, Brady Lucas. Today on the show, we have Chrissy Hitz. Thank you for joining us today on Life on Pause, Chrissy. Thanks so much, Brady. It's an honor to be here. I'm excited and thankful for the opportunity. Awesome. Thanks so much. So we're going to get started right away. Can you please introduce yourself and share a little bit about your current role? Absolutely. My name is Chrissy Hitz. I'm from right here in central Pennsylvania. Grew up in Mount Joy, still in Mount Joy. And I was married to my, well, gosh, early elementary friend, high school friend, but then later college boyfriend, Todd Hitz. And we were married for just shy of 20 years. And during that time, he was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease. And we ended or actually started what would be a 20-year battle with that disease, the side effects and everything that comes with it. So because of my experience in all of this, I really found my passion in working in a role that helps other people maybe find a way to a better path, have a more complete journey, not just with the medicine, but also you know learning about what other opportunities are out there. So I am happy to work with the Leukemia Lymphoma Society and truly give back to what was so helpful for Todd and I during our journey. Awesome. Thanks so much for sharing that, Chrissy, and being open with all of us on the show. Can you expand a little bit further on how you coped as an individual, especially a young adult, seeing someone, especially your significant other, battling cancer? I can. I remember being 18 after a couple of weeks of Todd not feeling well in a hospital slash general medicine area in what is now the Penn State Hershey Cancer Center. We went through so many changes with Hershey. That's a whole other podcast. But the first round um, started us off there in a room where I held Todd's hand and the doctor came in and said, we have good news and bad news. So Todd said, geez. And he said, all right, well, I guess I'll take the bad news. And uh, the doctor said, you have cancer. Um, something nobody wants to hear. Nobody, regardless of what your relationship is with someone, wants to hear those words. In 1993, it probably was more scary, perhaps, maybe not, and than what it is today. However, after Todd heard that, he said, there's good news? Like, how can that even be? And the doctor said, there is. You have Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is the most curable type of cancer. You'll be in chemotherapy for six months and it'll be like the flu for you. Unfortunately, Todd's relapsed several times and uh, came to the point where his only true possibility or option to live for a few more years than he already had was a bone marrow transplant. So he went underwent a bone marrow transplant at Hershey, Hershey Penn State and was the first transplant on October 28, 1996. So it's hard to believe, but as a caregiver, which was your original question, it, it's an emotional roller coaster. And it's really difficult to put into words the impact of the a million, I'm sure which a patient hears as well, the millions of things that go through your mind. Is he going to be okay? How am I going to take care of him? 
what do we need? What does he need? How will I know if he's sick? What all of these sort of sorts of questions just immediately rush over you. And I can remember it being so traumatic that I literally was on my knees, literally on my knees thinking, oh my gosh, did I just hear this? So having digested and, and of course gone through years of chemotherapy, radiation, of course the transplant after that, multiple types of lung disease. He was on ventilators, he had open heart surgery because the the side effects of his treatment were so grave that it left him almost as sick as he was with cancer, if not worse. So during that time, as I look back, I remember the things that stood out to me as a caregiver were one, the emotional impact it has on your life, two, the financial impact it has on your life, three, the impact it has on your stability, your mental health, as well as your physical. Something at the time I didn't think twice about at being 20, I thought, my gosh, I'll be, didn't even think about it. But looking back though, Brady, I would say the things that helped me were having a great faith. Todd and I absolutely have a great faith. I know where he is today. And I happen to think he's smiling down on us, Brady. At least I'm thinking so. But we, well, let's wait till we get through then we'll Then we'll decide. We had a great relationship. We were friends first and we really decided, and this is thanks to Todd's amazing emotional ability to be intelligent with this and say, the first thing we're going to do is not listen to the numbers, meaning they would say you have a 96% cure rate because he fell into the 4% that didn't have that. So we took the approach of how can we strategize to come up with a plan that one, makes us our own advocates and two, sets what we want this journey to be. So we decided that we were no longer going to accept, listen to, or succumb or think about the numbers or what this really looks like. Meaning if they said, oh, now you have a 15%, you have a 2%, none. He said from that point forward, doc, I want you to treat me as Todd not as a number, not as a statistic, because I believe in myself. I have Chrissy, you know, my family, my friends. So the first thing was really coming together and, and deciding how we wanted to tackle that journey. So the faith helped with that. The second thing that helped with us is, is sharing that with our friends and family. And even his doctor, his, his oncologist, he said, this is what I want to do. This is how I want to do it. And Dr. Ripka said, absolutely. I'm on board. He was supportive. And then that allowed Todd to set up this path of being his own advocate, whether it was, hey, you forgot my meds. Hey, Chrissy, I need a back rub. Because you know, you're like, that stuff comes in. You know, we just had as much fun as we could. I remember when he did get chemotherapy and it was outpatient, we decided that weekend, each weekend we'd have a theme. We would rent tons of tapes. We had a Western weekend. We had a old movie, old Hollywood weekend. He hated it. Star Wars. I mean, you name it. And we just watched it. And then I did my best to provide healthy meals. His mother's a great cook. She made many meals for us. Uh, many friends from our family, my grandmother, uh, the church. So, you know, really trying to fill in what it is we needed and manage as much as we could up front was very beneficial for us. And like I said, try not to keep ourselves too serious but also with our eye on the prize, which was having a good quality of life. And if there's nothing more to get across today or any day for a, a caregiver and or that person that stands beside their loved one and hears those words, you have cancer, 
it's to think of your quality of life. Think about what fulfills you. Like, what is it in a day you have to do to make you better? Is it meditation, a prayer, working out, listening to a podcast, listening to this podcast, because this is a good one to, you know, really set yourself in that mode of, here's what I have for the day, whatever it is, take some time to really take care of yourself, really take care of your emotions. And um, don't be afraid to ask us for help because there's so many people who want to help. They may not say the right things. They may not text the right things. They may say things that you're like, what? You know, like, how are you doing today? Well, geez, I'm great. My husband had a bone marrow transplant. How do you think I'm doing? But you know, in the end, I learned that people will say silly things, but it's what's in their heart and the fact that they do want to care and they do want to help. Really just setting that stage, creating what you want it to be. The only thing allowed in his hospital room is positivity. If you're coming in here and you're not positive, you're not welcome. And we had a sign on the door. We had a sign on the door and uh, one of our friends created a card drive. So he had 290 some cards by the time he finished his transplant. I think I sent you that picture where he's standing in the room the day he got to leave with all these cards and it just flooded in with positive thoughts, ideas, because when no one else is around, you know, it's great when you have doctors, friends, all there from about nine to five. But when those people go home and it's just you and your loved one or you and the one you're taking care of, that's when it gets real. That's when you have to remember what you two set out to do. And you can remind them, you can remind yourself If you need a minute to go out and like scream out in one of the areas that you can do that, do it. And I would also say, lastly, the biggest thing that helped me was having an amazing relationship with those heroic physicians, oncologists, nurses. I mean, anybody who I'm getting chills, anyone who touched us along the journey was absolutely amazing. So creating those relationships really helped as well. That was amazing, Chrissy. And I want to go back to one of the points that you touched upon being 20 years old, you just find out that your partner, someone you've known since elementary school, and then you eventually get married, has cancer. How do you balance being a young adult as well as asking for help from your family in that interesting stage of young adulthood, essentially? Great question, because it took me until my late 20s to actually say, I think I need to have a girl's night or Todd, would you feel okay or would it be okay if I went out with my friends? Would it be all right if I went out to dinner? Do you want to go to dinner with us? And then, of course, depending on where he was with his immune system, we could decide, is it a good time? Oftentimes in the winter, we we tried our best to buckle down. Um, we got all our immunizations, all of that, which is crucial to their immune system and being able to support them and be healthy for them. But he was very loving and would say, yes, go out and live do what you need to do. And it was fun. It was nice to have that, but it was difficult because as soon as I left the house, I felt guilty. As soon as I left the house to work out or go to the gym or yoga, I felt guilty. The time I left the house to go on a work trip, felt guilty. And I punished myself probably more than any other person would and far too much looking back on it. That then was healthy, but it was was a a tough transition. I'm not going to sugarcoat what that felt like. I often would think, God, please don't let this be the time where something crazy happens. Please don't let this be the time when I'm not there or he needs something and I'm not there. Thank God we did have cell phones at that time because 
1994, we did not have cell phones. I know. So I couldn't text. But as, as time went on, technology did assist us in a lot of ways. But every time I would come home, I have to say that I had the great, we both, Tom and I had a great unique gift to be able to say, oh my gosh, I made it home. How was your night? And it was really awesome. And, and we appreciated each other. We didn't always get along. We still had fights. We still were just like any other couple, but we kept it in perspective and then also appreciated each other as much as we could. But it's a good question. Getting out and still feeling alive while going through this in your young 20s and thinking, can I have kids? What does a family look like? I mean, will he pass away? Will he survive? And then, of course, anybody out there who may be familiar with when you hear your loved ones in remission or cancer-free, either one of these words sometimes, I don't know how they land on people. For me, it lands a little like, what does that mean? Because every time he coughed, I would freak out. Every time he said he was achy or his chest was tight, I'm like, oh my gosh, do fevers, night sweats. And your mind and emotions took me back every single time to that time I held his hand and he heard the words, you have cancer. And all of the fear, the unsure, you know, all of it comes rushing back. So it took some years to learn how to manage that better too, knowing that as time went on, we had more options for treatment. Treatments improved. And again, relationships with our doctors or his doctors, I say our, because it, it really is our journey. And that all was a big part of being able to get through some of that. And he even told Dr. Rick one time, I think he said, hey, Chrissy wants to go out tonight on a date. Do you think that's okay? Dr. Rick was like, absolutely. No, it's not a date, it's a girl's night. But, you know, we really did include him on everything and then have fun. And Todd also had a great support system with his family, his friends, my family. So he could ask questions or kind of lean on them if I was out, which did help. But again, it, it's tough. So I know there's some people out there listening and maybe feeling that right now, maybe feeling that, geez, what do I do? And I think it's important to know you're not alone, no matter your age or where you are in life, you're not alone. Hearing that is very important for our listeners to understand the impact it truly has on caregivers, especially being a young adult, if you're in a relationship or if you become in a relationship during your treatment, it really is a whole family thing. It's not just the individual going through cancer. It's the individual, their partner, their family, their parents, whoever it may be in their lives. And thank you for being that special part of Todd's life, because I think it obviously made such an impact on him. And I, I guess my next question for you is, let's fast forward a little bit, you know, had a couple of relapses and you get to transplant time. And at Penn State, now Cancer Institute used to be Milton S. Hershey Medical Center. Transplants weren't a thing in the, the 90s. So what were your thoughts as well as Todd's thoughts when you were brought the option of a bone marrow transplant it never being done before at the hospital. It was surreal. His oncologist, Dr. Harvey at that time, started talking over options because his time out of remission would get shorter apart. So his cancer would come back quicker. It would come back a little bit more aggressive. And based on the two chemotherapy regimens he had gone through, they knew those were the best options for Hodgkin's. He underwent an immense amount of radiation 
and his body was, I mean, he's, you know, kind of low. And Dr. Harvey said, really, we're looking at what does a survival rate look like in terms of length of years? What are our options? Again, Todd's saying, I don't want to be lumped into everything, but I also want to hear it real. What can we do? And he said, a bone marrow transplant. My mom's in the medical field and she kind of helped with that. But at the same time, we didn't Google anything. We didn't jump to conclusions. We waited and had a talk with Dr. Harvey and I believe Eamon at that time and said, you know, what, what does this look like exactly? And because they had not had transplants there, they really didn't know other than what they had been told by fellow oncologists who had been involved. What they did know is that Penn State Cancer Center was working on bringing in a doctor who had started transplant centers across the country. And this particular gentleman started one in Pittsburgh and Seattle, Washington. So at that point, we were looking at Pittsburgh. So we buckled down and started planning for what would be about a six-week stay in Pittsburgh. So that meant a leave from work. At that time, they were just passing the Family Care Act or the Family Leave. Can you believe that? That's geez. That's how long ago this was. So we didn't even necessarily have that then. So it was a, a big plan on, gosh, what are we going to do? Where were we going to stay? So we started to look at those logistics and, and kind of decide what our game plan was going to be. And we received a call and they said, um, it just so happens the doctor that's starting this is in our offices in the next two weeks. Would you like to come in and meet him? Todd's like, absolutely. Yes, Definitely. So we went to meet this brand new uh, oncologist coming into into the Hershey area. His name was Dr. Ripka. In fact, he's still there. And he also ran the, the program in Pittsburgh. So this was really a great opportunity to just lay out, get all of our questions answered. And at first, Todd was a big relationship guy. So when Dr. Ripka came in, he's like, where are you from? What is your greatest accomplishment? I mean, all the things you can imagine This Todd's asking. I remember Todd saying, where are you from? Like your name is... Whittled Ripka or pronounced VTAC. And he said, Oh, I'm from Poland. And Todd's like, Oh, does your name mean anything? Now, I don't know what made him ask that. And uh, Dr. Ripka said, Yes, in Polish, my name means the great fisherman. So I share that because this is our belief and knowing that there's something bigger and better than us. And the faith that we have comes into play. It doesn't mean it solves everything. But it reminds you that that it's there. It reminds you that you're 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 known in the universe, and you know God's right there with us. So we love that. Um, and make a long story short, through that conversation, Doctor Ripka was working on moving up the timing of the transplant unit or group. So he said, "This is what June or July. If you're willing to go through some just kind of low level chemotherapy to keep the cancer at bay, I believe we'll be able to get you in here at Hershey because you're local. It would be great." And so that was a huge win for us, huge. And then he did some testing, started that. Todd has a brother and a twin sister. So his twin sister matched, I believe it was five out of six levels. I believe they test you on more now. But the part she did not, they did not match together on was blood type. But Dr. Ripka said, you know, I feel like we're in a good spot. You're a good candidate for this. Would you like to be the first transplant? And I was like, ugh. And I'm thinking, please say no, or we'll think about this. Todd said, absolutely, I'm in. I was like, what? But, you know, he knew. He believed, he knew, and his trust with his physicians because of the relationships made such a big difference for him and for us. It made it easier for us to be on that journey with him 
because he was just like, we're in. So there we were. And Todd received his sister's bone marrow on October 28th. She was given shots to increase her development of all of her cells, etc. And I remember just looking at this bag. It was like, you know, a regular bag of what chemo might look like, probably even smaller. You know, he went through um, seven very hard days of more chemo, so bad it took his counts down to um, all but zero. So I'm sure many out there may be familiar with how they, they get you down to almost no immunity and help build you back up with the new bone marrow, et cetera. The one thing Todd was most excited about, about being the first transplant, I'm going to admit I was too, is he had nonstop nurses in his room. So he had a nurse scheduled by his bed like every day and night. So, and those nurses, John, they're amazing, first of all. Anybody out there knows, and we all need to show more love and, and appreciation for them and what they do. But one night I came in, they was getting a foot rub, an orange Julius, a milkshake. I'm like, what is this? And what was so scary at first became his life mission. Because when he went into the hospital, he didn't know what he needed. He didn't know, should I pack clothes? Should I not? What do I need? And about day three of him starting to feel better, they transplanted number two. So the next gal came in and they just started the same process. And he said, did anybody tell her what to think about? And, and I remember them saying, no, no, no. And he said, is there anybody I can talk to? I think there's a need to help others that are coming along have an idea of what they can expect. So Todd, a, a gentleman named Buck, a gal named Maria and Sue. Now, Maria and Sue still are involved, got together with not only someone from the hospital, but also the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, which helps me come full circle in terms of why I, I love to give back, and started talking about a bone marrow transplant support group because so many people were going to come behind him, and he was convinced they needed to know or at least have an idea of what to expect. So their very first was literally like a, a sheet of paper. I think they wrote on it and talked about what the transplant group looked like, meaning who's invited. And it was everyone. It was inclusive, all inclusive, parents, siblings, best friends, caregivers, you know, spouses or girlfriend, boyfriend, children. And uh, they ran the group and they created like what to expect. Bring sweatpants because you don't want to be walking around in the gowns every day. Make sure you bring in this. You might experience that. So it's a really great way to make being the first person into something bigger and better for himself. And I think that is the most beautiful thing in the world to be able to take something that's difficult and make it bigger and to give back. So to answer your question in a nutshell, being the first transplant for him was super scary as his wife. I didn't know or learn to trust quite as quickly with some of the things, but in the end, I knew it was right for him. So I supported him 150% and the amount of support we received back was was tenfold and I know he wouldn't and I wouldn't want to want to have changed that experience for anything. I'm almost speechless at that point. I think what a lot of people need to understand too, if they're not familiar with bone marrow transplant is when you get put in the hospital, there's a chance you don't come out and a good chance at, at that, that you go in for transplant, it doesn't work, you relapse and you don't come out. Obviously nowadays we're able to 
be a lot more perfection, I guess, for lack of better terms, that we can get there. But I think that's a huge point to bring across. And then on top of that, you throw someone out there that has never done it before. A hospital has never done it. And they take the risk. And I think what goes into my next question, and we're going to touch upon this, the support group in a second, but for the basis of research, how big is it for individuals to be the one that raised their hand and say, I'm willing to do this for other people? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that or brought that up. To answer there, you're right. You, you go into a situation where, and even every time we went to the doctors, if he wasn't feeling well, there is a big part of me thinking, what if he doesn't come home? He went into the hospital. He stayed 42 days, which at that point was average in terms of how long you're there. And then you have to live or be within 20 minutes of the hospital for another two months. So this is already a good three to six months. They often talked about day 100. Day 100 is a big turning point. You know, it's a big benchmark in the first part of the journey into getting better, into finding your, you know, finding your body's new ways. Well, I had a big countdown calendar. So we'd rip down the pages. And during those times, if he needed to go back into the hospital because of graft versus host, in which his body was fighting back or fighting against the bone marrow that was, you know, given to him. And we wanted a little bit of that. It turned out to be chronic. So, you know, that led to pneumonias, hospital stays. And I will be honest and say that every single time we went in, I didn't know if he was coming out. We had no idea. So we made every moment we left each other's side with an I love you. We also came and some people may find this a little weird. And, you know, I was in my 30s at this point. We came up with a plan of what happens when he isn't here. That was really hard because I kept thinking, well, that's just never going to happen. Why in the world would he's going to live forever? He didn't. And that was the greatest thing we did for each other was to prepare for what that looks like. Was that scary? My gosh, that was that was the scariest part of all of this. And I fought it every step of the way. It was important, again, for us to, to get that plan together, to sit down. The biggest thing I said to him is, what do you want? And he only had one request. He said, I want to make decisions to the point where I cannot. And I think as a as a caregiver for me, and I don't know if anybody out there feels this way or has, you think you want to control everything. You want to control what time they get there, what time they get home, how hot is the house? Does they need a fan? Does he need this? And you quickly learn that someone going through this, at least in my experiences, he had no control. He didn't, he couldn't, he did everything, everything they asked him to do, everything. And it still came back, everything. And he still was told pretty much, you may need a double lung heart transplant at this point, Todd. He did everything they asked him to without questions. Sometimes he had questions just to make sure he understood. But it wasn't, I don't know if you know what you're doing. It was, I need questions to clarify and get it in my head. It was a big part of what we did. And I'm so glad that we had those tougher conversations when we did because Todd passed away uh, July 8th, 2012. Numbers, anybody who's had chemo brain. I I see Brady's laughing because I can see him. But if you're out there as a caregiver and they tell you it's chemo brain, I fought that for like six years. I was like, ah, there's no such thing. It's true. There is a chemo brain. But 
I do want to say, in all fairness, there's also caregiver brain. There's caregiver brain. Now I call it widow brain because I cannot get the name of the dates of anything. And please know I'm not, you know, getting excited or sounding like I'm kind of making a joke to hurt or to do anything other than to say, you know, from our perspective, we tried to throw a little bit of fun into it. It's helped me. It's helped him. It continues to help me every day because I do have widow brain. So in 2012, he passed away. It'll be 10 years this year. And I am so daggone proud of everything he did. And he, it, it was the 25th anniversary of the bone marrow transplant program at Hershey recently. And I just couldn't help but get up that morning and smile and feel so thankful that if it weren't for that program, for his sister, for our family and friends, he wouldn't have made it another 10 years, 15 years almost. He, we wouldn't have had that. Were they always easy? No, no. But we did plan for those times when maybe decisions couldn't be made. So as long as he could make a decision, he made it even right up into hospice. Anything that he needed or didn't need, it was his decision until he couldn't make it. So it was hard to let go. It was hard to not be in control. And then there's also a beautiful moment when you realize you're not in control and that's okay. Caregivers, I'm all about if there's anything you can do to take care of yourself. A lot of people say self, you, know, you got to take care of yourself. What does that mean? What does that mean? Because in the world of no digital touch, like I couldn't go and look up a blog series. I couldn't go and, um, you know, Instagram what was happening and ask for food. Like we couldn't do any of that. And that was probably a good thing because Lord, that would have been, that would have been scary. But in a world with so many things at our fingertips, I think it's great to start with a, a podcast like this. Hopefully maybe somebody hears this and thinks, oh, I like that idea. Or, oh my word, I went through that. And you quickly see, again, it makes your world bigger. And it shows you, again, that you're not alone because you're not, you're not. We're here. I'm a caregiver and I'm here for anyone who might ever need to say, this really stinks because it really does. But there's no greater love than going through this with with your loves. Yeah, I love what you said, peace with no control. Because I think that's something that a lot of childhood cancer patients, young adult cancer patients, adult cancer patients, and just families in general, they deal with all the time. You know, you can't control 99.9% of it other than how you react, your attitude towards it. I think the way you put it right there, making laughter as a priority, making, you know, just having a good time being together as a priority is so important for our listeners to understand, but also that it's okay to do that. It's okay to be you and, and do everything along those lines. Looking 25 years later, the support group still exists from what I remember. We now have a full-blown Bomer transplant program at the Cancer Institute and in pediatrics. What's that make you feel as a caregiver that your family helped pioneer the way to make this happen? It makes me feel like everything we all did, every person who loved Todd, every person who wrote him a card to put on his wall, every prayer, every prayer partner, every family member in both his family and mine, our extensive friend group, our physicians, our amazing nurses, and the people who schedule our appointments. There's nothing better than when you call and you, you pick up the phone. They pick up the phone with a smile because they know you're having it rough. And to all of them, to researchers, 
who are making way and paths for this to be better and to, to provide a better quality of life for patients. And most of all, on behalf of greatest man, Todd Hitz, I say it's awesome. And I'm so thankful to have been a part of it. I'm so proud of him for always looking on the brighter side and saying, okay, so I'm going through this, but how can I make it better for others? Todd Hitz is a hero. He really is. He is. He is. And I say that, you knowing my personal background, but others may not that are listening. I'm an individual that received a bone marrow transplant in 2011, February of 2011. So if it wasn't for what Todd did to pave the way, I wouldn't be alive today. So I think that's the powerful things we hear when we hear about research, when we hear about stories connected behind research, why we keep pushing what we're doing. And the one last thing I wanted to ask you, Chrissy, before we head out is what's one thing that you want caregivers to know when they're going through treatment? I would say one thing is to not lose themselves. And that's a big part of of taking care of yourself as well. I just spoke with a friend, one of Todd's best friends, unfortunately just passed away. And I just spoke to his young widow this morning and said, you know, where are you at today? And she said, well, I don't know what to do. It's all been cancer. And, And I hear that often and it's not a bad thing, but I think we all can recognize it's a big part of what our life becomes. So if there's some time and looking back, man, I'm so glad that we took time to have, you know, Western movie weekend. I complained the whole time, but it was worth it because it was still us. So any any place to find yourself peace, comfort, strength, whether that's through relationships, activities, whatever that is, give that to yourself. Be okay with it. Do your best to not be hard on yourself and think, oh, could I have done that better? What if I did that? And you know, just love yourself, love your family member and, and know sometimes they'll say things that you're like, oh my word, but you know, and then they'll say that was the medicine. And yeah, it was, but don't be afraid to be you and say, all right, let's look at the positives, make lists, make, you know, whatever it is that, that you find the most peace in, I would encourage you to spend at least 15 minutes a day doing that. And I know there are days when you're like, I just got this morning, it's already midnight. I don't know what I did. I get that too, then sleep. When they're sleeping, especially the baby. Somebody told me that once. I I said, I started sleeping when he slept because otherwise he'd be waking me up all night. Anything that you can do in that regard, but be kind to yourself. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I think that's powerful words to leave the caregivers with that may listen to this or the patients that may listen to this. How can people reach you if they're interested in learning more about your story or connecting? You can reach me by email. It's Chrissy Hits, K-R-I-S-S-Y-H-I-T-Z, the number five at Yahoo. But I'm glad you're listening. Who's ever hearing that? Good for you for listening and keep doing it because you can listen while you're walking, listen while you're in the hospital and your your loved one is, is resting. Listen, listen, get involved because I think this is a tremendous, tremendous way to see that that it's not just you. Chrissy, thank you so much for sharing your family story. Thank you. Todd's spirit surely lives on through you and all the lives he changed because of us. And to be honest, to be the first bone marrow transplant patient at Hershey, I would not be here without you both. So thank you. Thank you to all of our listeners for joining us. Like what you heard? 
please like, subscribe, and share with a friend. Until next time, keep on smiling. Thanks for listening to Life on Pause. Ideas or suggestions for future episodes? Feel free to share them with us. Join us for the next recording on the third Tuesday of the month. Until Until next time. time.